Do you know someone who's never listened to a podcast? It might sound bananas to you and me, but those people are out there. If we want the podcast industry to grow, we need to turn those non-podcast listeners into podcast listeners. We think that if they just heard one podcast, one really, really good podcast that shows them how great podcasts can be to listen to, that they might convert. Then they will listen to another, and then another, and then another. Think Media thinks so too. And this April, they are launching Adopt a Listener. Yes, that's right, Adopt a Listener. They're asking you to find someone who says, Podcasts aren't my thing, and give them a thoughtful recommendation. Something that will get them hooked. Go to thinkmedia.co forward slash adopt to sign up, find resources, and learn how you can get involved. Crosswires is a proud supporter of Adopt a Listener. See the other participating shows at tinkmedia.co slash adopt. Well, hi everyone and welcome back to Crosswires. This week we are going back in time to the 90s. We are gonna we're gonna do a bit more retro content. Cause I you know what? I grew up in the nineties. I was, you know, by the time the 90s started, I was about seven or eight. And I loved my 90s tech. I loved my 90s computers. And, you know, we don't do enough retro content on this on this show, so we're back. Now, my guest this week is someone many of you may already know, and we've both just had a little bit of a, shall we say, an unpleasant surprise in the change to our favourite Discord. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from Naoki's Retro Corner, Naoki Sato. Sato, sorry, come <laughs> Naoki, see, I got it wrong straight away. There we go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. If if anyone got it right first time, I'd be very concerned because <laughs> <laughs> it's a running joke that Neil at RMC Retro, or should I say, the the Atari fan club. Yes, you should say that. Really, but <laughs> you don't. You, you're not too happy with that. I'm not. I I look as as a as an indoctrinated Amiga fan. Seeing that Atari logo in my Discord just sends shivers down my spine. Well, I can't exactly say much. I've got a smashed up Atari still, and I've got a uh, painted Amiga, so I'm 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 hated in both camps. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, at least you did not try and take a table saw to an Amiga. That is true. That is that is, that is a clip I've saved for. <laughs> I could have not pulled these up on that. Naoki joins me very kindly. We, we've, you know, we've been talking sort of on and off for what, probably about, well, maybe nearly a year now since I, st- well, not a, not quite that, but I've been in the RMC di- Discord for a while, and we were talking. I said, "Hey, you know, come on the show." And I think he said, "Well, you know, let let's see how it goes." I thought, you know, oh, hang on, I'm gonna phrase this in the right way, not to embarrass myself or you. I think we just thought, well, let's make sure we've got a good topic. You know, and of course, you know, Naoki wanted to make sure I was sound, you know, which is still my favourite thing that's ever happened to a podcast recording. Alex from Arcade Archive. Apparently, I, I reached out to him to say, hey, do you want to come on the show? He reached out to Neil to say, is this James guy actually all right? Like, shall I record with him? And apparently Neil said, yeah, he's sound. <laughs> well, that's a, that's always a good thing to hear from um, from Neil. If Neil says that you're sound, then you must be good. Uh, I, yeah, I, I do take that as praise. Anyway, Naoki, before we get into our topic today and look at some of our amazing 90s, and look, we're going to be talking the 90s era of arcade and maybe some cool stuff that's going on right now that you're doing. 
uh, and DIY builds, as well as, I'm not going to lie, I'm looking forward to this, talking a little bit about the 16-bit, and maybe, well, we'll see if it, you know, I don't know, does 32-bit count for the, uh, for Sam? Oh, definitely. It does? Okay. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit of Sega as well. And if my uncle, my uncle Neil, if you're listening to this episode, this one goes out to you because you had both of these systems. And I remember you letting me actually use these when I was younger. So thank you. Anyway, before we get into that, Naoki, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? Get those content plugs in there straight away. Well, like you already said, I am... I predominantly do YouTube videos and under Nike's Retro Corner. They tended to be about like retro consoles, retro computers. Um, started to do a bit more arcade stuff, which is kind of what I was originally known for doing. You know, just getting a random arcade board and playing around with it. I think it was around about the time that I met Neil because we did the um, BBC uh, Model B painting together. That, that's going way back. And that was how I got introduced to Neil because he'd actually mentioned to me. Oh, sorry, I'd act, he mentioned if anyone has um, a way of painting this case, and I said, "Well, I work in the body shop trade at the time, and I know exactly what to do. I also know that you can't just paint it because if you try to paint it, it'll just come off with the oils on your hand." So I met up with Neil. We uh, recorded the BBC session together. I nearly uh, fumigated him <laughs> twice. <laughs> um, I had an extractor fan. It didn't quite work, but <laughs> it, was f- it was fun. And then he uh, said to me, uh, oh, I've got a Discord uh, server. Do you want to join? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And pretty much since then, um, got more involved with the community. And then after COVID hit, I think everyone got stuck at home, got bored. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to make the most of it. I've got um, I got a new toy to play around with. I've got my MacBook Pro. I had iMovie on there, had a few other things. I'm like, you know what? Let's go for it. Let's try this and see how it gets on. So, yeah, pretty much since that point, I have been trying to do videos on a semi-regular basis um, and failing to do that every single year, but enjoying it along the way. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Now, I, as a complete aside, and I haven't put it in the show notes, the episode that went out the week before we we recorded this was with jack aka it's an arson and his mate salmon on that wonderful video they did where you know he'd gone back and edited in old versions of final cut yeah and a question i put to them at the time and i don't i don't think they necessarily were able to they answered but i thought maybe given that you know you said macbook pro and imovie do you think imovie rightly deserves almost a, a place in the almost credit for so many content creators getting their start yeah i mean the thing is like it doesn't matter what video editor that you use i mean i used to use windows movie maker back in the day like windows movie maker 7 it's not great but it's there um but i've spoken to quite a few people and they use like a load of things obviously you get a ton of people now using blackmagic davinci resolve Mm. Um, but, you know, there are some people out there who use Final Cut Pro. Some people be obviously using Premiere. And then you, then you get people like Techmoan. Did you know that Techmoan uses iMovie for all of his video editing still? I did. Seriously? No, seriously, he does. He still uses wow. iMovie um, to do it. And the funny thing is, when you know that and you, under, you, and you start looking at his videos more critically or analytically you can start to see that it is actually iMovie because there's only so many things you can do with an iMovie 
um it's like the the title banners for example or some of the effects you notice it and it's like oh yeah he's still doing it <laughs> wow that's and look and tetmon's channel um i believe his real name is matt he, he's a some of his videos just give me so much joy yeah, well, his most recent one was that the awful post office announcement system thing that he did a whole thing on. I kind of like that system. I've got to, I, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> like, I was looking at it and thinking, I, I actually put in the comments, like, for what it's supposed to do and how it's been designed, it's the perfect application of the technology at the time. Fair play. Yeah, fair play. Actually, yeah, that reprojection enclosed unit not having to worry, worry about some random post office clerk rewinding the tape or putting the wrong tape in, you know, and instead of, uh, you know, instead of a post office promo reel, you get, well, I don't know, mm. strictly come down. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't, no, it wasn't strictly come. It would have been come dancing back then, but yeah, it was good. Anyway, let we, we're not here to talk uh, Tecmo, though, uh, Matt, if you are listening, I would love to have you on my show to talk old, old <laughs> audio formats, just if you're listening, open invitation. Anyway, let's start with Arcade, because, you know, I have fond memories of, of Arcade Machines, but what, because you like to, you love the Arcade stuff, I know, you, you, we, one of the things we're talking about is like these DIY mini Arcade builds, but what is it about Arcade that just that inspires you, that makes you want to work on projects around the arcade era and around those systems? I think it's just because it's it's more... When you have a like a like a retro console or a retro computer, there's obviously... You're not just playing the games. You're experiencing the entire system. You're playing around with the actual hardware. You're getting the sounds of, like, the you know, maybe you've got, um, maybe you've got an IBM PC and you've got a Winchester drive in there. You've got all of that going on and you know sometimes even just smells you've got like a whole experience going on and there's something more rewarding to doing that than there is to just play a game on an emulator for example and kind of like what happens with the actual physical size when you go and uh, go to the arcade everything is bigger you get more of an experience this you know it's louder um, some cabs move so you have like the actual physical experience of being thrown around um, which again um, Alex from Arcade Archive uh, can detest to with the R360 um, he said he nearly vomited on that <laughs> <laughs> but it's just when you have such a massive thing I mean because arcade machines are not small even if no. you get just a candy cab they're not small things they take up a good amount of space it's again it's all of that experience that you get with these machines and just playing around with them i think yeah i mean i think that's maybe something that it is that and it's that experience of the noises because when you're in an actual arcade and i have to admit due to uh well that situation somewhat resolved itself i was gonna say due to budget folks i now have a job i'm working again yay but I haven't yet been able to get down to the cave and to Arcade Archive to experience that. But my my recollection, I, you know, I think of like going to say, even, you know, in the more, uh, you know, the late early 2000s, going into like an arcade at say Hollywood Ball, the noise, you, because you're not just getting your the machine you're playing, you're getting everything around you. You're getting the, yes. the, the soundscape and... It is something, and again, those, as you said, those huge screens, 
you know, and these are proper, well, certainly the age that we're talking, these are CRTs, these are proper displays, none of this, none of this LCD rubbish that you talk about now, lad, you know. Yeah. Um, why, I don't know why I've just put on a Yorkshire accent, honestly. Um, <laughs> sorry. But yeah, it, you've hit something there. They are not small units. And unless you're someone who has the bottom of a mill to fill up with arcade cabinets, you're probably not going to have the space to really enjoy an arcade-like experience at home. Is that a, Would you say that's fair for most people? It depends on the cabinet. I've known a few people who have arcade machines in their house, but these are the people that... Sorry, there's an ice cream truck going by. It's distracting me. <laughs> sorry. Um, I'll have a 90, 99 flake, please. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's gone now. I've known people with arcade machines in the house. Um, Jack as well, he has one. He's got a... Oh, okay. I think he's got a... Um, oh, he's going to get... He's going to rip into me if I get it wrong. I think he's got a Blast City or it's an Astro. It's one of those two, and I know he's going to comment on this. Um, you know you know, that there's a, you know, there's a message coming, right? I mean, it's happening. Oh, it, it's, uh, I have the vision of it in my head when I went and saw him, but I can't remember exactly the specifics now. But yeah, no, uh, yeah. Candy cabs are something like they're big, but there's something that you can justify in having into yeah. the thing, especially in a game room. But it's the some of the larger stuff. Like obviously, you've got because you've got the standard uprights, and then you've got like sit down drivers, and then you've got the Dulux cabinets, and then the Super Dulux cabinets. And when you start getting to that, that's the point where you either need a dedicated room or garage or something, and you have to be a proper collector or you know someone who really enjoys them to to have them like to have these bigger or more exotic cabinets in a home that then brings me on to kind of a concept of of mini arcades like what what's the idea here because and and just to be clear we're not talking about the or are we uh maybe i'm getting this wrong we're not maybe talking about the stuff that you can go to game and buy like is it the one-up yeah the little one-up units we're not talking about these are we i mean I mean, you can include them if you want. I mean, I don't. I think anyone who talks about the one-up cabs, there's two sides of the same coins. You can rip into them as being a commercialized venture of effectively a meme cabinet, which is which is its own um, genre, uh, which can get hilarious at times. At the same time, it's going back to that. You're also still playing games and you're still living through them. So I think, as funny as they can be, I don't think they're a bad idea so i you know i'd include them as you can have them in your house yeah okay okay i guess it's i guess it's all down to the investment that people want to make because you know look they are a you know as you said a commercialized mame and we're gonna talk a little bit about mame and you know because i've got one big question for you as we get towards the emulation side of things but what what are we, what are you particularly talking about when we talk about a mini arcade what is it that you're working on well as I have just released a video on, I am starting to build a quarter-scale uh, Dance Dance Revolution cabinet, and some people in the UK might know this as uh, Dancing Stage, because that's what it was originally called in Europe and the UK. Um, we had Dancing Stage, Dancing Stage Euromix, and then Euromix 2, which I'm, I'm sure that everyone's heard of Euromix 2. Around about DDRX is when they changed it so that worldwide it was known as uh, DD, uh, sorry, Dance Dance Revolution. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I am building a quarter scale sized arcade cabinet. Well, 
quarter scale sized um, DDR cabinet that is going to be fully playable and entirely self-contained. So everything from the uh, audio system to the computer to IO boards, everything to make it work, including the lights, I want it to work on this little quarter scale cab. It's one of those things, I, I made it quarter scale because I wanted it to all work and if I didn't want it to all work, then I could have made it a lot smaller. But there's just too much going on otherwise. Because there's only so much, how so much size reduction you can make in a in a DDR, so a, you know a dance simulator machine before before you're only allowing toddlers to play it, right? I mean, you want people to be able to actually. Well, you can like this is a thing. Even quarter scale, you can't. Like a toddler can't even play it in terms of like using their feet anymore. Okay, so we are at that scale. Okay, right. Well, because I think you'd have to do it at least half scale before that gets to you know toddler scale. But then, then technically DDR kids already exist. It's it's incredibly rare, but it does exist. So you could argue why not just do that instead. But yeah, no quarter scale is about the smallest you could realistically make it and have it all self-contained. And I think that's the the biggest thing is this the whole self contained aspect of it because there's there's not it's not like you can't plug in a USB dance mat and then have it like a projector connected to it and actually use it as a you know a gaming console but you know as an object into of into itself you know that makes sense and so this is this is will be playable with what we, it's going to be t- uh, you're going to be using what fingers to control the yeah um, so uh, imagine if you will, like you've got, I can't remember the exact, I, I know I should know the measurement, but I can't, but it's basically if you had a four size, but square like pad in front of you and you know, you could use like the tips of like tips of your fingers and you're basically slapping the pad kind of thing. You're, I mean, you're not slapping it, but you know, you're tapping it down with your, your fingers kind of thing. Okay. So we're talking what maybe, I mean, hang on, let's see if I can put maybe like, hang on, like Maybe bigger than a steam stream deck? Um, width-wise of a stream deck, maybe square, maybe give or take a few centimetres. I think I think if I recall right, each of the arrow pads is a seven and a half centimetre square pad. Ample ample space to, to touch it with. Nice. And I guess that leads so this I mean, this sounds incredible. Like I love the idea of this because you know it's something you'll be able to have, you know, and show off. Now I guess the question's gonna be hardware wise like you know i put in the show notes what what do people need but i guess a better question is going to be what components have you had to put together to make this because what is this based off is, is this based off a of raspberry pi or are you doing something different that's the interesting part because i could have potentially done raspberry pi dot 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 so i'm actually using um an intel NUC uh nuc uh so so for those who don't know it's just basically laptop uh, components, but in a it's basically it's about a four inch four inch by four inch cube, something like something like that. And the reason I decided to go that way is because one of the other ways of doing it, which is Outfox, which I'll talk about in a minute, that wouldn't have allowed me to actually play the original games, and that's import that was important to me because um, again, something I want to go on to in a minute is I wanted to play the original games that I used to play on my this cab I was building. And the only way to really do that was by using MAME. And whilst MAME itself can run on a Raspberry Pi, 
I don't, I haven't tried it. Maybe the Raspberry Pi 4 is um, powerful enough, but you tried to get a Raspberry Pi 4 at this, clim- <laughs> this climate oh, at the gosh. minute. Oh, gosh. No. no. <laughs> so I ended up going with a, a Intel NUC because that would that would allow me to do the best of both worlds pretty much. Uh, they are a wonder. I mean, look, those NUCs, they get overlooked. But I've got to say, that that class of device is actually Mm, I, I want to be careful how I say this, but I think if you need a, a family, I'm just completely off topic. If you want like a family computer or maybe a family like entertainment system that's maybe not a, just your bog standard streaming box, these are wonderful little units. I mean, they they obviously are nowhere near as powerful as say something like an M2 Mac Mini, but I think they're a wonderful concept. And you've got other companies doing similar ones, but the Intel Nooks really interests me as a as a concept because there's so many variations i think am i right you, you can get ones now that have got am integrated amg apus and gp well they won't be nooks will they no they do no they do have amd graphics intel worked with amd on one which is an intel cpu but an amd GPU. oh is that the is that the gaming one that they did where it yeah. has an actual um like uh double wide pcie slot yeah that's it yeah so you can get those but hey you know so you're using a nook what then because you said you wanted to talk about a few bits of the actual like the how it all works that nook provides you with a processor provides you with ram storage and then your io but I'm guessing most of this doesn't run just off like a little windows app or uh you know a bunch of usb what yeah what what are you actually doing well, technically, it does run. It would run on USB. The difference is the U because so obviously the NUC itself doesn't have GPIO, um, so you can't use it like a Pi in that aspect. But that's fine, really, because um, that kind of forces me into making my own um, input and output board, uh, which connects via USB. So I can make my own little I/O board that uh, connects via USB and emulates a basically a joystick so all of the the buttons on the cabinet will be joystick buttons and then the interesting thing is actually using the USB to actually send out the light data to um to the IO board so that the um so MAME can actually use the real uh, lights on the cabinet and um you know so when the emulated game turns on i don't know the the header lights for example then the real cab will do that exactly that's interesting cuz look USB stand for those you don't know stands for Universal Serial Bus, which means it's perfect for doing this stuff for sending commands to and from devices. I, I mean, look, you know far more about this than I do, but I'm going to assume that that's pretty much how we're getting to that point. Like even you know the, the play date, which I was showing, uh, I was showing Naoki before the episode. I found out the way that that does its mirroring to the uh, Windows or Mac app is through serial commands, through USB, which is why it's a nightmare to install my Steam Deck because I can't recompile the, the serial. Fi- oh, it's a nightmare. Anyway, that aside, so software-wise, what are you doing in terms of getting, effectively getting all those bits? So you've got all your components now. I, at this point, probably should ask you, are you using genuine Sunwire K parts from monsterjoysticks.com? I am using genuine Naoki made parts because there is, when you do things in scale, 
you can't go to Sanwa and say, oh, I like this button. Can I have it in quarter scale, please? (laughs) (laughs) True. There's a whole episode on how you can miniaturize all your buttons and stuff like that and just the complexities of... Because if it was just miniaturizing the button, for example, you can't... um, Well, sorry, if it was just miniaturizing the button, it'd be fine because you can just attach a PC button or something, you know, a glorified case switch. But when I put the requirements of it has to be as accurate and faithful to the real cab as possible, and now those buttons have to light up, that makes it very difficult to um, to achieve. So, unfortunately, I can't use genuine Sanwa arcade parts. I would love to, but it's just not possible in this instance. Okay, and so you're making me, you're having to now, I'm going to make assumptions here, and again, this is what I love so far about this chat so far is, Naoki's correcting me when I'm getting stuff wrong because, look, this is a discussion. I'm learning so much here, and that's what I hope you're all getting out of this episode as well. But are you? Is there three D printing more involved? Do you have what's the technique for creating? You know, because like you want them to light up, so you're obviously going to have to put LEDs in there or some yeah. form of light. Yeah. So, well, it's going to be LED, and it's also going to be incandescent bulbs. There's no need to do incandescent in some places, but authenticity right yeah pretty much um so whenever so if a button just lights up and it's not too difficult to put a like the um an incandescent in there um then i'll just use an led so the start buttons the selection buttons the the pad lights uh the up down left right arrows they'll all be led but the ones that are in the header the spotlights i'm going to use incandescents in those because Whilst I could use LEDs, it just doesn't feel right to have the spotlights just come on and off like instantly. They need that gradual fade and fade out for it to, to feel correct. But when it comes to the subwoofer rings, and I will happily say, I don't actually know what I'm going to be doing there. I tried to use LEDs because I could get away with it. But in the various techniques I've tried so far, which includes basically using acrylic rods, you know, but they are textured so that the light spreads out. I've tried to use side emitting LED strands, which are what they use in light bulbs. I've tried to use, I, I can't remember, there was another technique I tried, but none of those looked right. They just feel, they felt wrong. So I'm still not sure what I'm going to do, but it might even end up as being as crazy as I might get some custom CCFL cold, uh, was it? Um, cold cathode fluorescent lights that's um, it yeah mm-hmm. and actually have some small three millimeter ones custom made for this cab because that's the only way it would, would look accurate <laughs> and it's really interesting because we you know now you know look in this in this studio space here literally everything is some form of led my key lights are led the light strip behind us is led i've just knocked my coffee grinder um you know the, the hugh go thing down there is led this bulb is LED. Everything here is LED. And people think, oh, LED is the only way that you should be doing any form of lighting. No. No. Because things like CCFLs and, you know, incandescents still serve a purpose in different applications. Exactly. Yeah, you, prob- you don't want incandescents. For- I would say you probably don't want inc- incandescents in your home because, hey, this whole thing called the energy cost crisis. Mm. But for projects where they're not going to be on all the time, I don't think it's inappropriate at all to use, um, should we say, I think what's maybe the best term, project accurate or period accurate technology, right? 
Yeah, um, it's not even so, so much as necessarily being accurate in terms of, like I said, to the cab. Because, like I said, my first attempt was to use LEDs for these subwoofer rings. And the, like I said, the reason I didn't do it is because when I tested it on a small scale, like, in, well, I say small scale for a small scale cab. When I tested it using basically a U-loop and two LEDs, it looked fine. It looked perfect. But when I scaled it to a full-size ring, it, it it around the middle, or sorry, rather at the top of the ring, it you it faded off, and you could just see it was getting dimmer, and it just did not look right in the end. So, so it wasn't giving that consistency, that brightness that you'd expect from. And, and what we're talking about here is the subwoofer rings, like the illumination around that. You know, when you yes. look at a DDR cab, but that almost like I see like almost like party speaker esque look that seem everyone seems to be so keen on these days. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's one of the more iconic things about DDR. If at least the the because well, um, the cab I'm building, um, at least in the Bermani world as it was called, is called a is a standard definition cab. They have obviously made newer versions over the years, but this standard definition is one of the most iconic things about it was these either red or pink uh, neon rings that go around the subwoofers, the uh, two 10-inch subwoofers on the cab. And so you want to get it right. Otherwise, it just it will feel wrong. And I'm, I'm sure many people say, I'll oh, just use the LEDs. And, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. And they're probably right. But at the same time, if we can get it to look right... Why shouldn't we? Absolutely. Look, if you're if you're putting all this, it, look, it's something I I think people will know by now, and I hope it comes across is that if I'm doing something, I want it to look, and I want it to be something I want to be proud of, right? Because this is something you're putting hours and hours into, so many hours of labor and research. You want it to be good, and I know. Look, my <laughs> some of you will know that when we live stream, we've gone quite overboard with some of our overlays i cannot tell you the number of hours that i've sat in front of affinity designer trying to start off an overlay design and like no that doesn't work that doesn't work. that looks awful and i scrap it and start over because i'm not happy with that quality but when you're passionate at something and when it's you know maybe it's a personal hobby like no yeah personal project that you're really passionate about you do put that effort into and it's I think it comes down to, for me, it comes down to that personal touch, doesn't it? Rather than mass-produced, oh, it will do for shipping to game, for example, to you know to sell on on mass. Like, no, this is something I want to show off, and I think that's is that a fair sort of? Uh, uh... Yeah, I mean, there's a there is a there is a certain amount of personal pride that's going into it. You know, I am capable of doing this kind of thing, but it's one of the things of I've always felt. Like, if someone looks at something and goes, oh, wow, this is amazing. Uh, this bit's a little bit whatever. But, you know, everything else is fine. As soon as you have that one detraction, it kind of is this sort of a doorway to start seeing other other flaws. As much as I am a perfectionist and I'm trying to avoid letting that get in the way of things, it, you know, I, that whole subwoofer ring thing is a that's a big issue to me if you if you can't get that right that's gonna even even with a small amount it's gonna detract from it and that that's why i put so much time into getting it uh to work right that makes perfect sense and so i'm um, i guess moving on to the to the software side you mentioned mame so is this at its core you is this still emulation you're not actually putting like original boards in here then well first of all the, the original board it um 
It wouldn't Actually, fit, would it? I was about to say it doesn't fit into the cab, and it doesn't. But the cab itself is um, actually almost, um, it's actually slightly larger than the original PCB uh, that runs DDR. It's exactly the same width, um, it's just slightly longer. But yeah, so it will be entirely emulated asterisks. There was, there's, so part of it, because like the whole tradition of using um, a DDR cab is you know, not just playing the original dancing stage or ddr it's also using a project called step mania um this will do both so it will emulate all the originals but it will also play step mania so it's native but it's not like it won't be able to play an original board i am going to design the io board in such a way that it will allow an input from a real uh, system 573 and let you play the real game on the real cab well a real okay. cab on a re- on actual hardware even be it quarter scale yeah mm-hmm. yeah R- rather than just having a simple dance pad or you know keyboard controller um on a, on a pcb off to the side of you i mean you'll still have the pcb off to the side of you but then you have a actual cabinet so you get that experience and i guess a question a genuine question here so you know i remember obviously when we got into like uh, maybe even i i mean my memory is like playstation 2 with the dance pads yeah how like how does this compare because you you mentioned early on yet you could just buy a usb a usb dance mat and be done with it and just you know how what do you think is is it because of the the uh that tactile experience that light up that actual like almost replica of what you'd actually be using on a you know on a full scale cab it's more of a replication of that feel the lights and everything like that yeah, it, it it is that. I mean, it is. It's also um, it's kind of a celebration. You know, it's you know a celebration of DDR. And uh, coincidentally, uh, this year is actually the twenty fifth anniversary of the original DDR release. So um, that's kind of my motivator for doing this um, at this point. But yeah, the, I mean, there's loads of different players of DDR. There's you know you you got your families, your kids. Um, who do it leisurely, uh, you know, for a bit of fun. Uh, then there was me who used to, every time I saw an arcade and I saw one with that in that, I was always playing it. But you, there is a whole community, um, um, you know, the the Bamani community, uh, Bamani being the series of games uh, by Konami, which include Dancing Stage, but there's um, others like um, Beat Mania and Guitar Freaks and Drum Mania. There's, there's quite a few. But, you know, they have a real, it has a real dedicated following. And these are the people who buy their own DDR cabs, have them in their houses or in their, you know, garages or whatever. And they will play that religiously, or at least they'll play it, you know, get really, really good um, scores out of it. It's like when you watch um, people playing like Guitar Hero on the hardest difficulty and you just see all those fret notes going by and you're just wondering how can the body physically move fast enough to do this kind of thing so I mean and to you know a lot of people there's various different ways of playing it some people they, they'll happily use what they call a soft pad which is the ones that me and you are probably more familiar with uh, for the consoles um, then you get hard pads which are made out of metal uh, people use uh, keyboards mechanical keyboards they might even have an actual dedicated uh, button input which is effectively a four key keyboard that they plug in oh okay um 
there are even there's even uh, for the PlayStation there's an actual Konami actually released a uh, it was a dance pad basically it had um, both dance pads inside of a well on a PlayStation like controller that plugged into the PS1. And I don't know how you feel about it, but there is an excellent video by a friend of mine uh, called Clue um, that goes just into all the different uh, input devices that people use for things like DDR. Um, incredibly uh, good video, that is. Oh, but absolutely put that in my little handy link section. In our... So um, we, we're using, we, I think, maybe... No, you, like we literally, Naoki is one of the first guests to like we're fully utilizing our new Nextcloud instance to do like live collab on our show notes as we're going. I I love this thing; it, it's fantastic. Like a little little shout out to the folks at Nextcloud for all they've done. So we'll put that. But absolutely, any videos now. I I do I remember you know, and we it's really interesting. Like to before we get into because obviously we've got something else to talk about as well. But I want to talk just quickly. Like these, like now, when we look at dance games now, like so, for example, just dance on the Switch, for example, is all done using the Joy Cons. There's no actual pad there anymore. And yeah, and I mean, you've had. I think you've had uh, just dance on the. Was it the 360 or the Xbox One that had the Xbox Connect as well? Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Even Konami are doing this. There's um, a cabinet called. I believe it's called Dance Around. And you imagine three fifty—I think it's fifty-inch screens stacked, so from the floor upwards. Oh, okay. So, yeah, three fifty-inch screens stacked upwards, and then they've got a connect sensor. I, I can't remember exactly where it is on the thing. And yeah, you will basically—it's basically just dance kind of thing, but in the actual arcade. So, you know, I think we've basically come from full circle now. We've started on the consoles. Now we're going back to the arcades. There's there's so many different versions of like these dancing cabs, and there's obviously clones of dancing uh, DDR. There's step uh, well, there is Step Mania, but there's also oh, I've forgotten the name. I I should find that out very quickly because I'll get <laughs> very, I'll get I will get lambasted if I do not um, <laughs> mention it. It was um, Step Maniacs, I think it was. Yeah, Step Maniacs okay. is one. Step I mean, because you know, even in pop, even in pop culture, you know, I my my instant memory when we talk about people playing these games religiously, there's two like there's Scott Pilgrim versus the World, where they have a scene where him and Knives are doing the dance off, and then there is a whole episode of well, two episodes of King of the Hill where the hills go to Japan and Bobby gets addicted to dance to. Well, I guess must have been Dance Dance Revolution, but on a big scale in like a square, and he meets this Japanese girl, and they dance together, and he, you know, it all it, like yeah, it's all quite sweet in a way. But yes, yeah. anyway, is, is it fair to say that I think you hit what you said earlier? Fans of these type of games are very passionate people, hence why, hence why we wanted to double check to make sure we have the right, the right yeah. name of the uh, of the project. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's. It, to me to me it's like it's like um how i see it is like it's how i feel like about like um some of like the old original sonic the hedgehog games on the mega drive you know admittedly they're not oh, i say stuck in the past but you know they are they are of an older time period they don't have nearly as much of the uh features like modern sonics do for better or worse but you know that's what you enjoy kind of thing that's that's just something that you associate with the most so yeah, they can. I think there's an incredible amount of passion uh, towards it. Um, 
especially like other rhythm games as well. Up uh, so many good games now. You you mentioned uh, before we start recording, uh, or rather, I think uh, do you know what I've lost the track of what we said. We talked about a little project. Is this Project Outfox you wanted to talk about? Um, it was a brief mention. So um, obviously, I said that what reasons I couldn't use a Pi was essentially the scope of the project wouldn't allow for it. Um, if it weren't for needing to, you know, or wanting to use the original games. Or, you know, even just make using uh, Stepmania, but with a skin to emulate the sort of feel, the look and feel of the um, originals. I could have used a Pi and I could have used um, a thing called Outfox, uh, Project Outfox, which was, well, which is a, um, it's basically Stepmania, but uh, optimized for the Pi and uh, designed to run actual full scale cabinets. So you could just plug in this Raspberry Pi into your cabinet and everything should work in the way that you'd expect it to and it's a great project and you know if i think anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff i would greatly appreciate if they check that out because you know it's there is a great bunch of people who make that uh uh project and for you know basically uh in this spare time kind of thing because you can get jammer adapters for the pie and i think you've put a link in here to one as well for the mister uh you can get is it the mysticade yeah, so again, like I think you know, if people saw the Mister being used as a console replacement and a very good one, and mm. you know, if you can, if you can afford the cost of the Mister, which is a big, that's a big cost to get into it, but when you can, it's a really rewarding experience, and the fact that people are making um, arcade calls for the Mister is great, but it it kind of doesn't work just on like tv or something like that no so w- when you've got um you know the the mr cade for example and you know you can plug in the mr into your your candy cab if it, if you have that and then just be able to play all these classic games but in the in the way that it's next to the real thing you know and that's the thing i think is worth mentioning is like part of, like part of the reason like people want the, the mr is like you obviously you can't have everything like sometimes you just physically do not have the space to have every single console every single computer and it's the same thing but worse with arcade boards and not just because of the physical space some of these boards are taking like a3 sheets of paper size and that's just you know that might be a slightly larger estimate but that is still that they roughly are about that size but they're very expensive like you can't buy one even a even a cheap footy game, for example, you can't buy one for like less than a hundred now, which is kind of silly. Prices have skyrocketed, and so the cost behind it, the physical storage space, and even the fact that they just aren't reliable. You know, you buy an expensive board, you might get it, you might get it, and then three weeks later, one of the custom chips dies on it, and when a custom chip dies, there's not much you can do. Um, so, like Mister Cade being there to alleviate all of that kind of thing and give you as close to or as you know, you know, it's as real as you can get kind of thing. It makes me ask a question, which is if we put on sort of a scale of on on one side of the best experience that you could have in terms of realism, real hardware, real cabinets with the real boards on like the best, you know, that's the dream. Uh, if there were no reliability issues and you could just do it and it was affordable, that's what everyone would want. On the other side, maybe you've got 
maim on a pie or on something else because obviously emulation always has a cost and a pies are not easy to get hold of i've tried playing arcade games it's not the same experience on a pie um i do have maim emulation on the steam deck but again, it's I'm not using actual arcade controllers. I'm using keyboard, mouse, or you know, like my PS5 controller or other controllers. But in the middle, I, is it fair to say the Mister Project sits somewhere in the middle because the Mister isn't emulation; it's FPGA, Field Program or gate, Gateways. And we are hoping to get Neil and Richard from the Mister Multisystem team because that's a whole different. That's a that's a whole next another level of Mister. Is obviously you know you probably. I guess they could. You could still plug a jammer adapter into a MMS. There has been many a talk about that because it, sh- you know, it should be possible to do that. But I seem to remember them saying something like they acknowledged that there was a want for it for the um, the MMS. But I don't know much more than that. I think that was as far as that conversation went. But but the I've- MMS is really more designed as a consoleized mister for maybe home retros and home consoles is that a fair yeah i think i think obviously um no, is it heber heber i i'm so heber. sorry yeah, heber. Rich. no no he- yeah richard but um, richard will come for you but yeah heber yeah actually. but i always get confused but they have done a like well them and neil have done a really fantastic job with the mms it is it's one of those things if i could afford it which i can't I would have definitely bought one because it's a, it's a great system. I've I was always in the opinion for ages like you you like oh emulation's fine that you can't really notice a difference. But I think if you get a game you know there are just very subtle things and you you know you'll experience them and then just think that that's not quite right. And you know obviously with the MMS for the most part when the core has been fully done that you don't get that. And so like I say. I think I would put that the MMS and the uh, Mysticade, depending on which core you pick. And obviously, this isn't a criticism of the MMS or um, Mysticade. This is just this is this is all. Um, it's whatever core you pick, and you can get different results. Your mileage may vary. Um, but I would put that more towards the having a real cab, having the hardware kind of side of it. In my opinion, partly because of the cost, though, is that's the other thing. I mean the 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 Mister. Let's say you get the Mister Cade. You're effectively paying a, a premium, and that premium is basically the cost of a real arcade box. So if you only have the one game that you're interested in, as long as it's something that's not a cave shooter, which can go for thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, which is ridiculous. You know, sometimes if you're just going for one game, you might as well just get that one game. But then if you want it to be reliable then maybe you get a mister or maybe you know if you want to do more than one game a mister would be excellent for that again i i I, there are a load of people that don't like meme cabs for example but i have nothing wrong with meme cabs i think if you if you you know you want to play games by all means enjoy it it's all it's all for fun really so why not absolutely Awesome. And look, I I love arcade games. And look, again, if I had the space, I would absolutely consider something like a main cab. I would I, I've seen a main cab in our local comic store. And it's kind of cool. But let's move on to now, this is a really interesting one because as as many of you know, my 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 parents believe we should have a computer, not consoles. So we had 
Well, my first machine, as many of you know, was the Amiga 600, and then we moved on to PC. But I did have a Sega Game Gear, so I've got a bit of a fondness for Sega, and I think you do too. Like, that 16-bit slash early 32-bit. Let, let's talk first, I guess, the Mega Drive, or for our American friends, the Genesis. Because I, I don't understand that. I do not understand why we called it the Genesis in the States. <sighs> I mean, I've I've known a few name changes because of regional things. Like every region of the Dreamcast, for example, it has its own um, it has its own uh, logo, like different oh. color. Oh, like, yeah, so, of course, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, because it's like, what is it? It's like in Europe, it's blue. In Japan, it's orange. No, in Japan, it's red, and then in America, it's orange. So uh, I've known regional changes, but Genesis, I don't get that one. I think I think what it was is when they were doing marketing, um, Mega Drive didn't sound interesting, and you know, like Genesis was slightly cooler, slightly edgier, so they went with that one. Because Master System, it was it was a Master System in all territories, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, well, actually, eh, technically, yes and no. Japan originally got the Master System as the Sega SG-1000 Mark III, and then it... Um, and then it became the Master System. Although the SG Mark III and Master System, at least in Japan, are effectively the same thing, but one's a one's more computery like, and I say that in a very loose fashion because it doesn't have a keyboard, even though you can get one. Whereas the Master System is obviously what we're more familiar with, and they got the FM chip that the rest of the world didn't. So the Master System had both programmable square wave sound generation and an fm chip in their uh mouse system and you know it sounds great uh, especially if you listen to um um space harrier oh yes mm, mm. Uh, it sounds fantastic on that but yeah we didn't get that we just got uh psg in our in our territories i did not know that i did not know that was missing from from a master system because I remember a friend of mine had the, the master system, the original master system, and then many, I I know someone else, many other people who had the master system too, which was definitely a different beast. But let's talk Mega Drive because for me that Mark One Mega Drive is iconic. I remember, as I said, I remember my uncle having that Mark One Mega Drive. What it what made that Mega Drive so special at the time? Because now, correct me if I'm wrong. This came out well before the Super Nintendo. Yeah, it did, um, and that was it's both a blessing and a curse for Sega because you know on the one hand they did get the market edge, but Nintendo had the time to optimize their hardware and, and you know get out something that admittedly was better than the mega drive um did that pain you've heard naoki to say that was that a, that was very pained wasn't it i don't know is the answer because <laughs> i i i grew up with a mega drive i like the mega drive but i do respect that this the the super nintendo the snares whatever you want to call it it is technically better asterisk you know like cpu on the mega drive is better but the sound hardware on the um, the SNES is arguably um, superior, but it, it's it's just preference, um, realistically. But yeah, so the Mega Drive came out first, and it was based on the uh, some of the arcade boards. I think it was allegedly it was based on the Sega System 16 arcade board, uh, and that was used in quite a few different games, like um, Sega eSWAT, I think, in the arcades, among others. So you know, and Sega had a good 
foothold in the arcade at the time and so bringing that kind of scale of quality with their the fm chip that was included the uh, video pro, uh, was it the vdp sorry that they used they got this system that was pretty good like really good compared to at the time the, the entirety of the competition i think um you know even the turbo graphics 16 or the pc engine whatever you want to call it that system looks good but the mega drive is obviously technically and you know it's technically superior and it is just like has a lot more going for it i think yeah and what is it what was the slogan sega does what nintendo don't is that the yes that was the marketing thing wasn't it and i i just have fond memories i mean obviously sonic because now sonic was a mega drive first launch wasn't it, it and then it came to master system and game gear later on yeah, so it came to so it, it was launched on the the Mega Drive, and um, apparently there was a big argument uh, with Sega of Japan. Was it no? It was Sega of America versus Sega of Japan. I think. Uh, don't quote me on the story, but um, basically, one of the head the higher ups uh, argued you need to put Sonic in the packing game for the Mega Drive and. They, they, I think Sega of Japan were like, no, we're making so much money from Sonic 1, you know, the, the game itself, to put it into the console would just completely erode that, um, erode those sales. But obviously, the if you bought, were buying the console and you got the game with it, you, then you get a lot more people buying the console. So that was one of the things that made Sega a lot of money in the, in the end run. Um, because I mean, before that, they were using Alex Kid as their mascot. Does anyone remember Alex Kid? <laughs> I mean, I I know of him, but like I I for me, the 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 mascot of Sega was always Sonic. But obviously, I'm wrong. But, but yeah, well, it was it was Alex Kid. I I think it might have been something different before then. I think during the Master System phase, that's when the, um well era, that's when they were using Alex Kid, but. I mean, let's be honest. No one really knows or cares. It, it is it's the cobalt blue hedgehog that everyone knows about. Um, I mean, that's that's why he's blue. <laughs> really? Oh, what? Yeah. What? As it? What? Sega's because Sega's Sega's logo is cobalt blue. So when they were designing Sonic, uh, they made him cobalt blue to be their mascot. Oh, that makes sense because obviously hedgehogs are. But just 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 in case anyone was under illusion, hedgehogs are not normally blue. To be fair, unless you paint them. Um, but don't do that. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, please don't paint your hedgehogs. Please don't feed. Just, just, just to get this out of the way, folks. Please don't pe- uh, paint your hedgehogs blue. Please don't feed your hedgehogs chili dogs. Which... Please don't give them soap shoes that are, are maybe uh, red and white. Although, if you can get a soap shoe onto a hedgehog, I'll be impressed. <laughs> That's not a challenge at Crosswise. Yeah, no, please don't do that. <laughs> But so for Mega Drive, you know, and we are going to call it Mega Drive because we are both British, and that is the correct name for it, and it was the Japan Japanese name as well. So you're going to get a load of comments that are not going to be happy with you. <laughs> I know. Look, I'm, oh, you do know this episode is going to. Look, to be honest with you, 
podcast we don't get much feedback as a podcast so if we start getting like hate mail because of what we've said about a ddr or the genesis name i'm oh, absolutely I mean, fine with i that. mean you're gonna go off to some good communities there uh you know the, the sega community <laughs> we, we we were slightly um uh, giving some, the, the super nintendo some shade so we're <laughs> we maybe got some things wrong about the Bermani games yeah i can see you might get a few comments on this <laughs> Hey, it's what? all engagement <laughs> it's all engagement and look we have a fantastic email provider we have a wonderful website provider come at us come on um yeah don't actually see. come at us <laughs> no but you can come at me just just leave leave naoki alone he's a nice guy you know you can, you can oh thank no. you ah uh i've just realized i'm recording this with a super poster <laughs> 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 behind me i've got i need to change the calendar not a conflict of interest there at all no i mean i've got an atari joystick i've got a pokemon my game gear and to be fair my game gear is somewhere around here and i do of course have a retro coloring book of computers behind me as well so that kind of counts i do have the retro coloring book too i also have some uh system fives and three security cards behind me because yeah i am because if if people thought i hadn't gone deep enough into the 573 with my video they they, that's only half of the story wow all right so one thing let's because the hardware on my mega drive and my games i mean i was uh, like i remember playing obviously sonic i you know some of my favorite games are things like obviously lion king at that age and oh i'm traffic of some of my favorite mega drive games off the top of my head just i think didn't canon fodder get a mega drive release it did no it did um Oh, I'm not sure. It sounds like it could have, but I I don't know because it's difficult because I know that there are some games that you associate with the Super Nintendo, like um, uh, Top Gear, like Top Gear 1 and 2. Uh, They were on the SNES and they were more commonly known on the SNES, but they were on the Mega Drive 2. I noticed Um, that, yeah. For for like, for all my, um, look, my my stacks of, should we say maybe, um, let's not talk about how I got them. Uh, emulation games um yeah although to be fair we'll, we'll come to something actually at the end of this sega chat but there's something i want to talk about which is the tower of power like that term just i mean look what are we talking here because i like sega did made a they took that hardware pretty far and did a lot with it i mean that's one that's a very kind way of looking at it and the uh, other I'm, spectrum yeah. of the argument is that the 32X resembles a mushroom cloud of the of the implosion of Sega. So, you know... <laughs> Hate mail can be sent to podcastacrosswires.net. <laughs> I am not saying that the 32X is terrible. I am not saying that's what it looks like. It kind of does, but, you know, that that's just comments I have heard over the years. I mean, the Tower of Power is so iconic to the point that Sega even manufactured a... I, I think it was a 1-12 scale version of the Mega Drive and uh, Mega CD and 32X. I, I could be wrong about the scale, but I know they did that. And they, like, they, they were non-functional things. Um, but it was just iconic, really. And it's... Cause, okay, so let's talk. Now, oh, do we, are we calling this Mega CD or are we calling it Sega CD? Because, again... We will call it the Mega CD because otherwise I will c- repeatedly call it the Sega Sega CD. <laughs> Mega CD is. 
<laughs> oh, of course, because it would. Yes, no, I it, yes. It, it was the Sega Sega CD because it was known as the the Genesis, and then the Sega CD. It's literally printed on the the drive basil as Sega CD. But they also had the company, the the you know the the manufacturing. So it was the Sega Sega CD or Sega CD squared, depending on what you want to call it. That might be our episode title. Uh, it might be dan- dance dancing around the Sega CD squared. There you go. <laughs> It's almost as bad as, uh, what was it, the CD-ROM-ROM. <laughs> oh, yes, for the uh, PC Engine. Yes. Yes. So, look, this was so the, the Mega CD, this came, what, how far, this came along, I mean, this was basically in the, oh, CDs are the next being thing, they are really cool. This came along, yeah. what was the idea, what was Sega trying to do with that Sega CD, uh, the Mega CD? I mean, the, 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 so the Mega CD, that was in... Basically, in uh, the engineers' minds, pretty much as early as the Mega Drive as it was being designed, from what I've read and uh, as far as I understand. So they were always looking at how can we put CD technology onto the Mega Drive? Because, I mean, you're talking the Mega Drive came out, uh, I think in Japan it was 1989. Um, so technically before our bracket here, but like. I can't remember exactly the the date of uh, CDs, but that was like late 80s, I, I think. So obviously everyone saw CDs and, you know, you say to someone 650 megabytes on a disc and you just think of all the possibilities with that. Um, so they were thinking of making the Mega CD all the way back then. It was only about 91 or 92 that they got the Mega CD launched in Japan. And when they launched it, to be fair, it was pricey, but it was adding quite a lot to it. I mean, uh, the Mega CD itself isn't just a CD drive that attaches to the Mega Drive. It's kind of its own console minus a um, a graphics processor because uh, you've got a secondary uh, 68,000 CPU running, I think, about 12-ish megahertz, depending on region. And... Actually, I tell a lie, it does have a uh, video processor on there, but it's also got a PCM uh, pulse code modulation sound chip on there for not only playing the CD audio, but also you could feed it PCM samples from the disc and play them without the, the, the drive being used at all. And so it was adding quite a few different features to your Mega Drive, and games that fully utilize this got really expanded as a result. I mean... Like the best you can describe it is, is just look at Sonic CD. It was using every single feature that that, that console could add. It was using the CD. Obviously, everyone knows about CD audio, and that's become one of the big things with CD-based games is um, high-quality uh, Redbook audio. But it, it, it was demonstrating you didn't need to just do that. If you go into the past levels, it actually plays the uh, it plays PCM sound files. So it loads them in from the disc into the Mega CD's RAM, plays those using the sound chip, and then it puts the drive to sleep. Um, so if you play in the pass level for long enough, um, the, the Mega CD actually goes to sleep almost. And wow. Yeah, and that's also why when so- uh, Sonic CD um, was launched in um, the States, they changed the soundtrack for Sonic CD, you know, gave it that iconic uh, Sonic Boom intro sound effect, uh, sorry, sound 
found music and then they changed up all of the rest of the audio but they didn't change the the uh the audio files for the past levels so all of those still are the japanese versions and there's such a disconnect as a result from it <laughs> wow and it goes on like you have like the special stages um obviously everyone knows the Super Nintendo's mode seven graphics mode for um, sprite rotation, the fact that it can um, take, I think it was arbitrary sprites and scale them, rotate them, whatever, basically pseudo 3D. Um, and that was one of the things that the Mega CD added and Sonic CD took full advantage of it. So that iconic um, spaceship stage is all being drawn by the Mega CD. Wow. And look, they tried FMV on this thing as well, didn't we? There are some FMV. Yeah. And, and now, to be clear, folks, we are not talking, well, I was going to say not talking 720p, we definitely are. But this was not like Wing Commander 3 level of FMV, was it? This was... Yeah, so the one thing that the Mega CD couldn't address, and I say couldn't, it physically wasn't capable of, um, it wasn't capable of... Uh, I don't think it was de- capable of decoding like FMV, like that was encoded in a, like it was an MPEG, put it that way. It had a limited color palette. I think the color palette of the Mega CD, uh, sorry, Mega CD, the Mega Drive, it's not confusing at all, um, was about 64 colors. That means you can only have 64 colors on screen at any time. And now I think there are tricks around there where you use um, interrupts in specific ways to get more colors, but in general, you couldn't have more than 64 colors on screen. And the Mega CD couldn't do anything about this. So your FMV not only was limited to a small window, and I think this is something like, you're talking like uh, maybe like 180 by 120 video. Don't again, don't quote me on the resolution, but something really tiny. Um, and you only had up to 64 colors. So... Again, Sonic CD tried its best by using um, Japanese anime-styled video for its um, attract sequence. But games like Night Trap, oh, they look terrible. <laughs> it didn't do itself any favours. Now, you know, but I think about, you know, but I, I have a, a resounding... Because, of course, this will play CD audio, which, you know, you at the time was, you know, for teenagers, that would have been a big thing. In, in the same way that the PlayStation 2 was possibly one of the most common DVD players. And I think the PlayStation itself was possibly one of the most common CD audio players. There would have been a part where, you know, you know, someone who had a Sega, I'm saying the wrong thing, Mega CD part of their stack, they'd be able to play by CD audio. Now, I remember my cousin, if my uncle's listening, by the way, it's, you know which cousin I'm talking about. Um, he had a Mega Drive. Now, he had the Mega Drive 2, and a Sega, a Mega CD two, which were this like weird, where you got almost like a tray that you had to put them both into. Very different to the, the original. Well, maybe we can talk about that. But I remember me saying, saying to me, "Oh, this is cool. You've got a CD player." And my grandma saying, "No, no, 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 no. He can't touch that because he's too young." I didn't quite understand what she meant by that. Like this conception that CDs were like this adult thing. Yeah, I can. I mean. Let's be honest. I think again, Night Trap. It kind of was in some aspects. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I see. Like CD was something special. Like because, like looking at it practically, it was a cheap way of like getting stuff out. Um, I mean, 
compared to like yeah, you know, for like uh, audio CDs compared to um, cassette tapes, it was simple. You know, shove plastic into a pressing machine, press it, and then move on to the next one. Keep on doing that. You could make hundreds and hundreds in a day. What well, hundreds in a day? You know what I mean? Like, no, it was a very, very interesting. I mean, CD was. You know, I grew up. You know, I had a tape deck. I that was my music. But then I did get a CD, and it was game changing. It's just red book audio in games. You know, I know the Sega, the Mega CD had. See, I'm doing it. The Mega CD had its problems. It was not. It was expensive. And do you think, I mean, would people consider the Mega CD a failure? I mean, it's all relative. In the terms of a console, first of all, console add-ons and upgrades, and they never do well. Um, And game developers are wary to support them because they want to target the... The, the the console, the system that has the most appeal. Commodore 64 owners will know all about this. You want to target the most amount of people for your game. So when you were developing for the Mega CD, there was an added cost because you got to put stuff on that disc. So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to fill it with uh, background audio, now you need to actually, well, I mean, you would have already had your composers, but now you've got to tell your composers you're not programming for the FM chip and the P- PSG and the PCM. I mean, okay, by the time you had the Mega CD to Mega Drive, you've got at least three different audio chips in there. You're not programming for any of those. We want, you know, we want CD quality audio. And so they have to put more time and energy into making that sound good. Right. And if you don't put CD audio on there, you, you're going to put video on there. I mean, you've got, you've got to use that disc up. Um, so a lot of these FMV games, and um, it's almost like they were struggling to think of ways to put, like, to make a game that utilised the CD to justify the sort of the costs behind it, like to to justify the cost of purchasing the Mega CD to begin with. That makes sense. Yeah, it, I think you've hit the nail on that one. Wasn't that like? I mean, I remember like even going back as far as the Spectrum, game developers would code for the lowest memory variant of the Specy. Not necessarily for the forty-eight K they'd program for the sixteen K, because mm. that would be the base level. Exactly, and I mean, making a cartridge is expensive, and there's lead times. Um, there is a lot of issues with that. They are very robust and reliable, but you know they're expensive. This is all stuff that Nintendo should have learned re- like later on, but they didn't. But you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Now you've got this cheap media, you've got to make an impression with it. Otherwise, people are going to go, well, why did I buy this $250 ex- expansion to my $250 console? You know, it doesn't, you know, the maths doesn't add up. Nope. And it's, it's very interesting. And that brings me on to, speaking of add-ons for 32X, or now, that goes by other names as well, doesn't it? Was it the... It was, it was, so it's not as confusing. It was always known as the 32X in different regions, but it was, I think it was the 32X in Japan, the Mega 32X in Europe, and the Sega 32X in Japan, uh, sorry, in, in uh, North America. the Americas. Right. I could be, I think I'm wrong, but I think it goes something like that. Okay, that makes um, sense. So I've just added on names rather than a whole, so it was always the 32X, it just had different bits on the front of it. Yeah, and as a snide comment, you could also say that the 32X pretty much represents the amount of games that you could buy for the system. <laughs> it's not true, but it may as well be. 
<laughs> get a 32x for 32 game now you may as well add like for for like 59.99 onto the end of that because by the end of the system's life like lifetime that's effectively what it was is like go into game and it was like there for like well, I say game but you know go into your get local game shop electronics and like, boutique like, electronics boutique yeah maybe like, and you yeah. buy it for like 19.99 <laughs> yeah sir please take this 32x we beg of you take this 32x <laughs> we need the shop space <laughs> Oh, we are uh, we are going to get roasted, aren't we, by the thirty two X fans for this one? Right. I, uh, I, I am I'm sorry, but <laughs> uh, cool. don't get me oh. wrong. Some of the yeah, there are some gems on the thirty two X. There are some good games. Um, I must admit, I haven't got a plethora of experience. I don't. I've never had a thirty two X. I have played no. on one. Mm. Uh, one of my good friends has one um he's got he's a massive sega nut like he has every like as many things sonic as you can think he has he has big statues as well of like the characters but he has i think he has um the entire eu collection like he has an entire eu library of 32x games which ironically i think takes up just one shelf but Oh, I mean, the standout one for me has to be the Star Wars 32X yeah. like, arcade port. Yeah, I mean, there are some good games. I okay, admittedly, it doesn't sound like uh, um, like when you look at it, take a modern perspective and you look at it in the past, like uh, Virtua Racing Deluxe, which was a 32X version. Now, the Mega Drive already had Virtua Racing, and it was the only example of Sega basically trying to be nintendo and catch up by using um a super fx like chip um a little uh, a digital signal processor dsp that gets added into the cartridge to generate some of the polygons that you use in the games but you know you play the mega drive version you play the 32x version and the 32x version just has so many so much better uh visuals because uh, it can do it can do rudimentary 3d quite well to be fair so it was like there are some good examples, like I said. So there's Virtua Racing Deluxe. I think it was Virtua Fighter. Yes. if I'm not mistaken, yeah, was on there as right. well. Which, let's be honest, going from a Model One arcade board, which is way more powerful than the Mega Drive 32X was, and you're running that game on that system, that's pretty impressive. To be fair to take it to home consoles, I think you know Alex from Arcade Archive, who we keep referencing, he said for him. Once he, for him, he got to the 16-bit era and stopped having that same interest in in, in the arcade. Now, you know, fair enough, uh, because home consoles were doing a, a better, well, he thought they were doing a better, maybe a, a better or just as good job. But 32X, it was basically, it was it actually 32-bit? Because I know it had additional processors. It was, so it was 32-bit. It's actually dual CPU. I mean, oh, I think it was running two hitachi sh ones so it was legitimately 32 bit and when the 32x was activated it it took over the entire console it was the top of everything and it had its own video processor it actually took the video out of the mega drive took it into itself and then spat out its own video just so that it could get over the color limitation of 64 colors so it's using the mega drive for audio and sound and input effectively it's I, I, I think you can still use the the 68k but i mean why would you you've got two sh ones 
I think it might use the VDPs for some background layers. In fact, I'm pretty much certain, like in Virtua Fighter, it does exactly that. And then everything else, like the 3D graphics, is all done by the 32X. And then you add in the Mega CD, and then you're like, now you're using the CD drive to add to. The- <laughs> Yeah. yeah it gets it, it gets get, messy it, it does and then of course you've got because we want to talk about sega's actual first 32-bit console but then you have like the whole like i think the joke is you take what is it the sega cd the mega drive mark one 32x and then sonic and knuckle is it sonic wait hang on let me get this right which is it sonic and knuckles that then yeah, Sonic and Knuckles, and then like, in fact, I think you can go a step further because there are like, I think you can put an um, a game genie on, and then a couple of other. I think there's one or two others that you could put on them, and then then you get Sonic and Knuckles, and then you get the Master System Two converter, and then you put the Master System game on top of that. That can't have been state. I would love to see. I'd love to see. In fact, Neil, if you're listening, I bet you've got all this hardware at the cave. I will I will buy you a beer if you put that together. There is a image that has floated around since the early 2000s, since the dawn of the internet, and it is of the true Mega Drive Tower of um, instability. Because <laughs> <laughs> of course, look these these like the 32X and the Sega CD, they had to have their own power bricks. Yeah, that's the thing we didn't even mention is the fact that. You were adding these things, and your power your power strip was getting longer and longer. And remember, these power pl- these plugs they're not just your regular typical. Uh, well, in in, our, in the UK, it would be three pin um, BS standard plug. It wasn't one of those. It was a brick on a plug, and the bricks was big enough that the um, they would actually cover up the sockets next to it. So you would end up having to have a six gang socket to have three consoles on. It was so ridiculous. That Sega, after the 32X was launched, and I can't believe they actually did this, after the console the 32X was launched, they made their own power strip with the plugs separated just enough that you could put in all three power supplies <laughs> and plug that into the wall. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, so you could buy the Sega branded power strip. I love that so much. It's almost as ludicrous as the Xbox um, Xbox Series X fridge. Uh, that Microsoft launched. <laughs> yes. Well, that did serve a useful purpose. You could keep your... So did so did the Sega Power Strip. It powered your consoles. <laughs> I just want to know how many house fires started from, like, from from dads trying to wire up some contraption. Like... Oh, I can... I mean, I, I can just imagine, like, the, you know, the freeway plug adapters uh, that you plug into the thing and you just have big old blocky things that... They're so heavy, it's starting to pull the plug out of the wall. <laughs> Never mind the plug out of the wall. It's, it's like all of a sudden your house has subsidence. <laughs> <laughs> you, t- you turn on your power tower, your tower of power and then just the entire lights of the neighbourhood dim. Oh, Jimmy's playing Sega again. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I can't play my Super Nintendo. Jimmy's playing on his tower of power. There you go, Sega. Hey, hey, Jimmy, can you turn it off? I want to make a cup of tea. <laughs> The thing is, like, you, 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 it, it's kind of ludicrous. Like, if you could not do something like that nowadays, not only just because of, um, you know, we have way more efficient CPUs and stuff like that, we have switched mode power supplies, which are way more efficient. And we don't need, we, we, you know, your laptop charger will have a big brick and it will get warm. 
But these older ones, these linear power supplies, had big, chunking transformers inside of them that got warm, like pretty warm. They had warm. the lin linear power supplies in the consoles themselves, which got pretty warm as well. You were gener you were wasting so much power on these things as well. Well, I mean, maybe maybe that's a, uh, maybe that's the solution to the cost of living crisis. Issue every home with a Sega Power of Tower, uh, Power of to Tower <laughs> of Power as a as a renewable as a heating source, entertainment, entertainment people, and heat them at the same time. You know, you know, it's one of my favorite mods to do to um, a Sega CD and a Mega CD. I've done this several times now. Not only do they have this whole ridiculous power situation, but they have the dreaded center negative of power supplies as well and they don't need them so every and every single console i put I, I get i put in a a bridge rectifier which for those who don't know it's basically an ac to dc converter and the only reason i do that is so that you can use either center negative or center positive it doesn't matter these diodes will uh, put the voltage in the right order that it's supposed to be to power the console because I've I've bought two Mega CDs now, and both of them have had their power boards. They've got craters in them because people plug in twelve volt power supplies that have center positive, and I want to know what happens when they do that. There must be a heck of a pop, because like I took out the board, and there is where there is supposed to be a power filter. There is just a like a, a literal crater, <laughs> a burnt crater <laughs> and the way i fix them is just by putting on these bridge rectifiers and then attaching them into the thing and they've always worked afterwards <laughs> i mean it, here's a random question for you before we move on to the to the uh to the saturn is there are there mods these days that will allow you to power these devices via USB-C? oh that's a good question there must be i mean you need a minimum of about a, a minimum voltage of about, if you're using the stock internal hardware, you would want about 7.5 volts. I think USB-C, if you get a power delivery, like a receptacle that can take power delivery, it can uh, request 9 volts from USB-C, at which point then it could potentially power uh, at least a Mega Drive, maybe a Mega CD or something if you're being particularly risky. I think the better thing is to just take out the linear power supplies on the inside, the 7805s, and just wire the USB 5 volt straight to the motherboard directly and oh, then power it that way. Okay, so replace the actual. And I guess, I mean, okay, it'd be, I, yeah. It'd be far more efficient. And I guess that also means, I mean, there's no reason you would ever want to do this because there's no networking functionality on these machines, but. Eight or two of eleven AF PoE. I mean, like, actually, that's not a bad idea. I mean, you thinking about it, it'd be annoying. It's annoying, like stuff like it's going to use it, like the PlayStation Two or the the Xbox is when Ethernet really was kicking off with consoles. It's kind of annoying that they don't like they use. Um, okay, the slim PS Two is an exception that has a external jack. Um, but it's a shame that the Xbox, the OG Xbox, doesn't have a way of powering it that isn't AC power. Yeah, because that's got its own built-in power supply. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. then you okay. could have you could have actually powered it over 802.11. No, that's that's Wi-Fi. What did you say? 802. No, it is. No, it is. No, 802.11 AF is. is it, uh, I no, it's not. No, I should... It's not. It's not 11.8. No, it is. Yeah, it is. I should know this. I literally just did this Jack PC, and that has that 
It's 802.11af. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Mm. No, no. The only reason I mention it is because it's look. It's something we talked about with Reese about like Reese's off-grid solution. I talked a little bit about PoE. So, by the way, for those of you who don't know what the heck we're talking about, power over Ethernet, the ability to power Ethernet devices, and actually even non-Ethernet devices. I've got my uh, Philips Hue bridge powered by PoE, and my network TV tuner. I just bought a PoE splitter, so a decent. Actually, that might still work. You'd have to be very careful. Well, uh, we're going down a complete yeah, rabbit hole. I can see the cogs turning in your head, and just you, after this is done, you're going to start working on this new project. <laughs> oh, I'm not. No, no, don't let me. This is one thing. I. This is why I have guests like Naoki on my show because with my eyesight, I do not touch electronics. I, 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 I just. I, I know it would end in disaster. I leave that to my dad. My dad is my electrical engineer. All right, the Saturn, because this yes. is this was Sega's true 32-bit console. I say, well, it was, wasn't it? I mean, I'm not getting this wrong. Yeah, it, it is. Um, so, you know, the irony is, it's kind of like Sega looked at their much-loved child that they've been adding and slowly killing because of them adding on the add-ons. And they looked at it and goes... Yes, I want that all. And then they design the Saturn in exactly the same way because the Saturn is just a mixture of everything. I mean, and I, I'm not even kidding. I mean, whatever the Mega Drive had, it's probably in the Saturn somewhere because the architecture of the, the Sega Saturn is ridiculous and got more so when Sony announced the PlayStation. So to, to put it into perspective... You know, most norm like the Sony PlayStation when it launched, it launched with a has a single MIPS, I think it's MIPS free CPU, it has its own custom graphics controller, and those two are very tightly integrated. They may as well be a system on a chip, but they're just in two chips. And then it has a uh, the SPU, the audio processor, which is kind of an ev- um, an evolution of the sound chip that was in the Super Nintendo. And it has a CD drive, and that's it. That's your yeah. that's your console, and it does it really well. Mm. And then you've got Sega, on the other hand, and you know, <laughs> I can see you smiling. <laughs> you you know what's coming. Yeah, they have not one but two main CPUs. They've got two SH2 CPUs using a master and slave configuration. Then they have uh, two graphics chips. One called VDP1, one called VDP2. I'm sure you're very surprised to hear that. They also have a DSP chip. They also have a 68K CPU. They also then have um, a SH1 CPU that just does the CD drive. They also have... (laughs) Their sound chip is a mixture of... It's basically... To be fair, the sound chip is probably the most sane part of it. It was designed by Yamaha and... It's basically, you get Yamaha, it basically says you got 32 channels of stereo audio up to uh, 16-bit, 44.1 kilohertz. And you can either do PCMs, samples, you can do um, FM and a few other things. And I think it's something that's like a, I could be wrong, I think it's a four or six stage um, FM synth. So it's a good, impressive sound chip that got relegated to playing CD audio, but you know but yeah just like what was sega thinking like i don't I, okay and can you explain something else to me because it was cd based 
Yeah. But it had a cartridge slot. What the heck was that for? It. So not what you think. Okay. It wasn't like they were hedging their bets. They. It was CD. You would load your software via CD. The cartridge port was designed. It even says on the actual door. It's an expansion, uh, expansion pack. So. This was for things like RAM carts or even ROM carts. So if you wanted stuff to be loaded, like if you didn't want stuff like constantly use assets to always be loading from CD, you might sell a game with a ROM cart um, so it had instant access to that data. They did uh, a modem with that cartridge port. Um, both Sega had their own system and I think Xband in the States. Um, and I, yeah, so there's quite a few things that you could do with it. And it's it's not true. I want to say this is not true, but I I, I had an interesting discussion with my um, stepdad. He um, we were talking about the Sega Saturn um, a few years ago, and he said he remembered plugging in a Mega Drive game and playing it on his Saturn. And I thought that that that, that, make, that makes sense. It has enough power to do that. Like it's got it's got a Yamaha chip that's capable of doing FM synth and possibly also uh, PSG. It's got a 68K CPU in there and it's got more than enough power to do and it's I think the VDP2 is it VDP2 that does the 2D uh, 2D functions. I can't remember but it's it's I think it's an evolved form of the VDP that was found in the Mega Drive. So in theory it has all the specs and capabilities of running Mega Drive games. But it doesn't because, well, first of all, the, the cartridge port itself is completely different. It, it, there's no similarities in the dimensions or in the interface or in the it's it's completely different. So I don't know where he got that impression from. But what I think it was it's because he was playing Sonic Jam, uh, which has all of the Mega Drive games on it. But I'm not saying they're emulated they were native ports to the uh, to the Saturn. Right. So these are all, and, and just to be clear, we mean all the, say, the Sonic Mega Drive games, not the entire... No, no, Mega- it was just, I, I I can't remember off the top, I think it was Sonic 1, 2, 3, and Knuckles, and maybe a handful of others. And, fun uh, fun factoid about that, um, was the fact that if you go into the Sonic World section of Sonic Jam, and you're roaming around, mm-hmm. um, Everyone knows that, like that's probably one of the first iterations of uh, of 3D Sonic on a console. I, I think it was one of the first. I can't remember if it was the first, but apparently that demo was the uh, actual prototype version of Sonic Adventure that was released on the Dreamcast. Like they began making it for the Saturn because Sega of America, well, Sega of America was struggling um, to make Sonic Extreme. Sega of Japan were doing their own thing. And if you read into the stories, apparently there's quite a bit of rivalry going um, on between the two companies. And But when they eventually realized that, you know, the Saturn missed the mark by a small step, they moved all of their developments to the Dreamcast. And rather than, um, rather than just ditching all of the code that they've made up to that point, they actually... Um, used it and compiled it into what is now apparently in Sonic Jam. So I, I love that story. I, I hope that's th- that is tr- like that is completely true and it's not just, you know, made up by some... But that... Because that would be such a fun I- I- world into seeing how classic Sonic kind of died 
But then we got modern Sonic from Sonic Adventure onwards. Interest, very interesting. Look, I mean, look, I, I again, I only played on my finger a few times. Again, I know my uncle had a Saturn. Now, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong? There are different colors. Didn't the Japanese have a white Saturn? Yeah, they have. The Japanese got a load of different variations. So, in the states and in the UK, we had M. Uh, sorry, the Model One, and we had the Model Two. Um, very few differences between them. Not worth mentioning, really. But in the in Japan, where the Saturn did, to be fair, it did a lot better than it did in the West. Um, they had loads of different versions, and not just versions, though. Um, sorry, not just con- like color versions. Um, we also mean like different versions. Um, there was a Saturn that you could um, that had an integrated GPS receiver that was designed to be run in a car. What? And if you're, yeah. Um, and as a as a plug to our friendly Neil, he actually did a video on the. Uh, Navi Saturn, that thing, and, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you. But you had people like Victor, uh, which over in the West we call JVC, mm-hmm. um, but in Japan are known as the Japanese Victor Corporation or just Victor. They were making Saturns. Um, Samsung were making Saturns. Hitachi were making Saturns. I believe, yeah, yeah, because of the high Saturn. And I mean, again, if anyone's interested in, in the fact that. Sega were nuts. Like Nintendo, they wouldn't dream of letting someone else make their own versions of their consoles. Um, well, if you don't include Mattel during the NES days, um, but uh, Nintendo got very frustrated with them very fast. But in, in Japan, Sega, like, you could get so many variations of both the Mega Drive or the um, the Saturn. It was crazy. That's mad. I mean, I was, well, was going to say, uh, well... Nintendo, because there's those very rare, there's the Panasonic Q, isn't there? Yeah, there is a Panasonic Q. Which is a GameCube in a, like a Cavio, well, like a DVD, I don't know how you describe it's, that. It, thing. I think the best way of describing it is a silver mid-2000s CD player. Because it yeah. really, you, you, if you imagine that look of like an Ikea furniture and then you've got your silver with a mirror, like mirror front CD player yes. and bookshelf speakers off to the side but in fact it's actually a dvd player and a gamecube yeah i remember there's a very rare like they're up like the hotel game nintendo 64s and stuff like that but i'm gonna guess they were the exception like nintendo are very tight about their hardware and, and about their software like the, yeah. the, the hotel 64s i think if i'm not oh no no i'm no i'm getting confused with the saturn there sorry yeah no the, the, there are like even with the like setter the, the there's a setter corporation they actually made the um alex 64 which is the um arcade version of the nintendo 64 okay um, but yeah yeah you can see that nintendo had their hand in it because they put their name on that board so if they put their name on it you know that they had their hands involved in it in some yeah way. whereas what we're saying with the saturn is that like the likes of samsung and Tachi were actually making boards and making wow yeah i mean we've seen like the pot the the cons like the portalized versions portable versions of like the uh, mega drive in the fact of like you had like the um the sega nomad but then obviously they had that uh 
but you had things like the JVC XI in um, Japan, which was a combo combo Mega Drive and Sega CD in one unit with an actual motorized like so. The, it's a um, it's um, oh, it's not it's not a tray loader. It's a top loader CD okay. drive, but the actual door is motorized and it's real like fancy like they were go- they were nuts with amount of uh derivatives and versions and they're all you know they're all the same basic design it, you know the, the, it's not like uh, you know the navi saturn aside it's not like they are inherently different specifications they all are the same it's just different brands who make them but I mean, then again, this is the same Sega who were allowed Amstrad, Amstrad to make the Mega PC. True. And the, what was it, the Laser Active? Again, this is all like Neil induced knowledge. And I, I don't know, I, yeah, like, was it the Laser Active that you could put Sega CD or Mega Drive MD, the MDLD or something like that? This is. Yeah, so that is a very rare format. Uh, but yes, yeah, Mega LD was a thing. Laser disc. Forget your CDs. Laser disc. A big twelve-inch disc that span at was it two thousand five hundred RPM or something like that. It's something ridiculously fast. I mean, and these are not like discs. I was, um, I did. I actually repaired a um, Pioneer LD unit. I think it was just like the laser was bust on it. Um, but I had the cover off and I had to test that the mechanism was all working. So I put the disc in and it spun up. And as it's spinning up, I know it's getting faster and faster. And this is like a slow, it's like a one, two, three kind of count up. I'm thinking to myself, God, I hope that disc doesn't come out. Because if that comes out, I, I'm worried of decapitation. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow. I mean, look, my school had my school had a laser display in the English lab, but we only ever used it for Shakespeare. Yeah, Sega, and look, you know, this is the same company. I think you've summed it up for mad. This is the same company that made a Master System adapter for their Game Gear. Well, that's because the Game Gear is a Master System. <laughs> yes. I mean, not to forget the TV tuner. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But the, mind you, um, uh, PC Engine had a TV tuner too for the GT. And you and you can get a TV tuner for the GBA. You can. You're right. So, can. I mean, to be fair, that's. I think TV tuners are just par for the course for uh, portable stuff. But yes, yes. But you know, it it's it's very. Oh, I love this either of like random console add-ons. You know, it's we could do a whole. Ep- in, in fact, at some point, I, there's two episodes I want to do about handhelds, handheld PDAs, and like early smartphones. I meant a whole thing on handheld consoles, like the Game yes. Boy, like the Game Gear. Like, I mean, we'll need to make it a long episode if we're going to talk Atari Lynx. Yeah, <laughs> I get uh, that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be fair, actually, I think the Steam Deck is actually a bit bigger than the Lynx. In fact, yes, it is. How many? It's- how many Amstrad CPCs long is it? <laughs> what the Steam Deck? Oh, I don't think. Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't think it's quite. A, I don't think it's quite a CPC. Zero point zero point eight CPC. <laughs> There we go, new measurement term. You know what? I, I, next time I do a video, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to use that as a as a measuring term. Uh, yes, yes, yes. All right. Yeah. Look, here's the thing. I was gonna do Desert Island Games, but I'm also aware of time, so I'm. Gonna, I, I mean, 
let let's wrap this up with we didn't even talk about Dreamcast, and that was intentional. We were talking about two specific eras of Sega. <clears throat> the Dreamcast is, it, to me, is a sad story. It could have been so much more. Oh, and I had I had a Dreamcast for a while, and like you've you know you mentioned in your one of your recent videos about the Jack PC Windows CE. Well, you know look, that thing was running not well not all of it, but some games had embedded copies of Windows CE. You know, the Dreamcast is a whole thing by itself. And it was sad. I was sad to see Sega get out of the game. But today, you know, I I think the ultimate, like, this is not the same Sega anymore, is that I've got the Nintendo Switch online expansion pack. And one of the things you get with that is Mega Drive games on a Nintendo console. Sounds like sacrilege now you say it, doesn't it? it? It really does, doesn't it? Like, and I mean, do you... Do you think so? if if we have that magic bullet could go, uh, if it was like a what if what if Sega was still in the console game today? Oh God, this is just this is just um, people saying oh Dreamcast uh, Dreamcast two confirmed. The the, the the inherent thing is with Sega there was nothing. They were on a downward path, like a path that was just spiraling into chaos. There was, I don't think there was anything that they could have done. The only the only thing they could have done to steer their course right was to be a sensible company about things and, you know, be a bit forward thinking. What made them great was the fact that they would do rant, like these crazy things, uh, that they would go really aggressively at Nintendo. But ultimately, we talk about Nintendo. You're talking about Nintendo Switch now and Mm. Sega is just a distant, like it's, well, it's not a distant memory, but you know, you don't hear about Sega so much anymore. Whereas you know, you hear about them as a publisher, but you know, y- y- Nintendo is so well known with Sony and Microsoft. And if Sega during the nineties didn't play around, you know, in my opinion, if they didn't play around, if maybe okay, the Mega CD that should have come out, uh, it would have, it might have always been a failure, but. The 32X was just such a stupid. They they should have never made that. That 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 console killed the the people that were on the Mega Drive or the people that were waiting for the Saturn. You know, it was just like a slap to the face. Why why would you buy it? Yeah. And then they came up with a Saturn and they butchered it right from day one. And why? Sony launched the PlayStation and Sega were like, oh, we will we will trounce these people. We will crush them. By adding a secondary uh, processor, the thing is, outside of arcade development, people like programmers don't want to deal with that. The Saturn was already a pain to program for, and then you add in this the secondary CPU. Most games didn't actually use it. They would basically the the program that would get uploaded to the secondary CPU. All it did was just tick it over. At which point, you may as well not have it. Yeah, and the like the DSP, for example, that's in the Saturn. You could you could do great things with it. You can do wonderful things with it, but ultimately, it was not easy to utilize. You had to really think about how you wanted to use it. I can't remember his name off the top of my mind, but uh, the developer behind uh, Traveler's Tales, who made games like uh, Sonic R for the Saturn, he said like you could do up to six um, operations per cycle on the dsp and if you could utilize it great the dsp would do things fast and that was the way he was able to get like the levels to 
to load into the distance in Sonic R. But you needed that really experienced uh, development. You, know, you needed, um, you know, to be an experienced developer to fully utilize it. You know, and this is something that Sony learned, like when they launched the PlayStation 3. Like, mm. developers don't care about necessarily the power because they've got requirements. They have deadlines to meet. They yeah. need a simple, easy to understand architecture that just works. So, really, for Sega to be a console maker in today, like in today's market, they would have had to scrap the 32X before it was even a thought. They've had to change the Saturn, so it, you know, maybe, maybe keep the DSP, maybe don't, but single CPU, and then they they shouldn't have launched the Saturn six months earlier than it's supposed to. Let it launch when it was supposed to launch. Don't piss off the people who are going to save your or sell your console. Don't piss off the developers. That's what they should have done. The Dreamcast, as good like Sega learned when they made a Dreamcast. But it wasn't going to save them. Nothing after after the 90s. I don't think anything was going to save them. No, it was a it was a sad because because like GD ROM. Like, yeah. I mean, to be fair, at least it was it was trying to do its own thing. I mean, you know, Nintendo technically has the Nintendo optical disc. It's effectively DVD based, but you know. Oh, you mean the GameCube disc, right? The well, well, the GameCube and Wii disc—they're basically the same thing, just different size. But yeah, that kind oh, of thing. But yes, yeah, like it. Sega was already on. They were on. Um, they're walking. It wasn't well, working on eggshells, but they're, yeah, they're on a very, very thin ice. And then Sony utterly obliterated them because. And I'll use this quote from uh, Jack Trammell: "Business is war," and. Uh, Sony knew they could potentially kill it. Well, I don't. I don't think they knew they'd kill off Sega, but I think they knew that if they put the DVD player and got it out earlier and overstated its specifications, they were going to trounce the Dreamcast, and that's what they did. And the Dreamcast just became like um, the the swan song. It was um, a bittersweet end to you know what was a lot of people's childhoods, including mine. So just remind me, by the way, the Dreamcast. What generation does does that fits into a PS2 generation, yeah. right? Okay, it, it was it launched ninety nine, I think, early two thousands. But it, yeah, it was practically the same time as the PS2. And because the thing that's always made it's been my personal theory, and I'm sure it's wrong, is that I always got Dreamcast vibes from the OG Xbox. Yes, and I. Bet that's because Sega and Microsoft did work together for quite a while afterwards, and it's not surprising because Microsoft knew all the software; they didn't necessarily know the hardware. Um, although they obviously Microsoft cheated, they can't. They just put in a Pentium three PC because it was it was what they knew and how they could adapt it easily. So, but yeah, no, there was there was I think there was a rumor about how the Xbox was the Dreamcast two of its day kind of thing. I mean, that's certainly, you know, I, I mean, little things like those four controller ports and yeah. other little bits. But like yes. the, the, the two, the two um, memory cards slockets, uh, slockets, uh, sockets in the controller. Yes, definitely. I somewhere still have my Dreamcast VMU. Yeah, I, I do too. And annoyingly, it's got all my child data on it and I can't find my disc. Oh, no. Look, we, we could spend another hour 
honestly yes. talking about this. But I'm very much aware that I've got work at seven in the morning tomorrow. I'm like, oh, I, I like, I love my new shift. Pat. I love this new job, and I love everything about it. I love working Sunday through Thursday because it means I got Friday and Saturday off. But seven a.m. No, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. But Naoki, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. This has honestly been like I think we. I was really looking forward to this because I knew that you were going to have some great insights. This has been so much fun and we absolutely uh, have to have you back on the show to talk more. I'm sure there's more nerdy, nerdy retro stuff. We can, we can talk, we can sit in a corner and, oh, sorry, bad joke. Yeah, no, no, uh, seriously. Thank you. It's incredibly kind words. And yeah, no, I'd love to be back on. I think, you know, like you say, this is stuff that I am really passionate about and I would, I could, you know, as as Jack would say, I can talk your ear off about it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking of an episode of you two together. It'd be like a six-hour recording. <laughs> uh, I oh, mean, we need to do Crosswise Live, as in not our Twitch stream. We need to do, uh I, yeah, we need we need to do a live recording sometime, like a retro that, live. That, that would be interesting to do. But yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like it's it's been great to be on and. Um, been fantastic thank you very much for having me my my absolute pleasure so naoki where can people find your content if they want to go and check out more of your retro shenanigans for the most part you can find it on youtube if you search for naoki's retro corner or naoki's uh naoki src uh on twitter i am known as well i am uh, naoki's src on there pretty much type in naoki naoki um which is n-a-o-k-i s-r-c and if I'm on that platform, I should be, I should pop up. Awesome. And, of course, you're active in the... It still hasn't changed back, you know. I've just looked. Is it not changed back? Oh, Neil's, Neil's going to be punished for that. Oh, absolutely. But come and, do come and check out the RMC Discord as well. And Neil, look, you know, I think it's... I certainly owe my retro passion and my retro content ideas to Neil and, and some to yourself as well. But yeah, come and join my Discord. It's it's such a great community. Apart from the occasional rib from Neil or you know just randomness, but yeah, come and join my community. Oh yeah, come and join ours. We've got a Discord. Like yeah, crosswise.net forward slash Discord. We are gonna you know try and do stuff and come and check out our live streams. But Naoki, thank you so much for your time. We will roll the outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live for our upcoming streams. If you like what we heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening.